Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 11th, 2023, and the Georgia Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. But before we talk about the game, let's talk about today's sponsor, Brooks Running. The new year means a new you, and there's only one brand that has all your running essentials, and that's Brooks. From the cushion ride of the Glycerin 20 to the speedy sensation of the Hyperion Max, Brooks has everything you need to accomplish your New Year's resolutions in style. Visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store and get suited up for the new year. Brooks, run happy. And man, I gotta tell you, this isn't even a product that I have myself, but my brother got himself the Notch Thermal Hoodie, and it is sick. Because not only does it look good and is it comfortable for running, but if you take the hood off, you clip it down so it's not moving around, and you could wear that hoodie and go from a 5K to a country club. That's how good it looks. Thank you again to Brooks for sponsoring us. All right, Brock, you want to tell the people what we're going to be talking about today? Today I'll give uh, everyone a, qu- a quick rundown of our show. We're going to, of course, start out with the national championship game and the Georgia Bulldogs versus the TCU Horn Frogs. Following up with our favorite moments of this past football season, then we'll go into the weekly NFL recap, then we'll give you some MLB news, and then we'll finish it up with a little stake your claim. All right. Well, let's hop into this national championship game because there is quite a lot to talk about. So just for starters, I'm sure everybody saw it. Georgia wins it 65-7, to the highest score by a single team in championship or in national championship history. So since 1998, 65 points. And Stetson wins his second in a row offensive player of the game. He's the first to ever do that. Javon Bullard wins defensive player of the game. I believe he had two interceptions. And just plain and simple, this was a murder. Yeah, and one thing I want to just say that a lot of people are probably thinking right now and have probably said TCU didn't belong and arguably TCU did belong they beat the number two team and they got themselves in there but I mean they in my opinion with uh, along with the uh, committee of course we everyone agreed TCU deserved being there they had a great season but to my point I've made I think most every single week this college football season no one is going to be able to beat the Georgia Bulldogs, especially a Georgia Bulldogs team that is angry. Yeah. I mean, they had some fight in them, and you could tell from the jump. They weren't running no trick plays in the first quarter on fourth and six. All right. Like, this was real for the Georgia Bulldogs. And if you guys heard Kirby Smart's pregame speech that came out after the game, oh my God, I would have run through a brick wall. I probably would have put, put up 65 on TCU. Yeah. I just listening to that the, his pregame speech has made me realize how painful their practices probably were for that leading up to his game because oh you knew he was an angry sob those weeks because he that I I said it last week that defense that played against Ohio State did not look like a Kirby Smart defense that was not the Georgia standard. And I said it uh, last week, he was going to fix the issues. He was going to go in and he was going to fix it somehow. And he was not ever going to let something like uh, the Peach Bowl happen again. And they came in and they 
played lights freaking out. Yeah, it, it was it was it was simple for Georgia. And, and outside of Georgia just beating TCU at every position on the field in that game, I think that TCU was just riding so high after that Michigan win that they lost sight of the game afterwards. Like the way that you know, even just the media was talking about it, and TCU was posting on all their socials about it. They made it seem like the semifinal was their championship, and that's what it looked like. It looked like they weren't ready to play another game. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth right there. That is exactly the point I was about to make. Their national championship game was that win over um, Michigan and the uh, and the Phoenix Bowl yes, because they where they, they were everyone they they were riding on the oh everyone's doubting us we're the underdogs this that the other they go in prove it against Michigan a team that uh honestly should have beat them if you look at the score uh I mean of course if you look at the score uh, TCU wins but if you look at if you break it down Michigan gave up 28 points and what I mean by that is JJ McCarthy threw two not one but two pick sixes they had, uh, they tried a stupid trick play on the one inch on the one inch line, and then they fumbled on their one yard line, and you can't do that if you want to go win the national championship. And obviously, they didn't. TCU ended up winning, but I think TCU got very lucky in that game by capitalizing on Michigan's mistakes. Yeah, and I kind of figured it would go that way. I think we talked about it last week how Michigan, you know, they they made decisions in that game that allowed TCU to capitalize. Georgia did not give TCU a chance at capitalizing on anything. Like there was what Georgia didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh-huh. And you know, they were holding on to the ball. That was the biggest thing. Look, nobody was fumbling nothing crazy really happened on the Georgia side outside of the offensive play. And that's how, you know, you model consistency with a team like this. And, you know, now the conversation is who's better 2022 Georgia or 2019 LSU. And that is a very high standard to be at. Yes, that is probably the, uh, I mean, the 2019 LSU team is still overall, I think, the best team to ever do it in a sport. That's the single season best ever. Um, I, although they could have had a better defense, I believe that's that's their biggest downfall. Is they didn't really have that good of a defense. But I think if you were to put that 2019 LSU offensive roster over anybody in the nation, even this 2022 Georgia defense, 2021 Georgia defense. Heck, even even the 01 Miami defense, I think that 19 LSU offense burns them and takes it by 10. Yeah, that LSU offense. That's was an exaggeration, incredible. not 10, but the LSU offense was incredible, and I give them credit for that. But also, Stetson Bennett in this game kind of just cemented his legacy in college football. He had a a great game in the air, and he didn't really have to throw the ball all that much. 18 for 25, 304 and four touchdowns, a a 99.5 QB rating, and then got it done with his legs, three carries, 39 yards, two touchdowns. 
he was responsible for six touchdowns, as many as Joe Burrow's record from that 2019 championship game. And then the receivers were out to get it, dude. Early in the game, Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey were just racking up targets, and they just weren't dropping the ball. And that was the key. Like, Max Duggan just looked super rough on TCU's side, and it was because he hasn't faced pressure like that. We haven't seen that happen to Max Duggan because he doesn't play against an elite defense week in and week out. Yeah, something uh, that I pointed out last week, that Georgia defensive line it is so good. I knew that TCU offensive line had no chance in stopping them. I mean, every single play without fail, um, they Georgia had one player with one yard of uh, the quarterback. It was insane. They literally, every single play, Max Duggan was either either was getting hit or sacked or uh, being pressured into having to throw a terrible ball because that Georgia defensive line just completely manhandled that um, offensive line of TCUs. They, that offensive line could not do anything. Yeah, and another guy who couldn't do anything, Quentin Johnston. This is a guy that I personally thought was separating himself from the rest of the wide receivers that are going into the draft this year. And Keely Ringo absolutely locked him down. Kept him to one reception for three yards for the whole game. Yeah. Uh, I think, speaking on the wide receivers, I kind of want to talk, uh, do a flashback to last week to uh, the P- uh, Peach Bowl with Ohio State and where this Georgia defense did not look. They looked played football before. When you compare it to this week, they're too – it's almost as if they got a whole brand new uh, defense to come out for this uh, this national championship as opposed to the Peach Bowl. But I think uh, something uh, that made the Ohio State game much closer is Ohio State had four weeks to prepare for Georgia, and Ohio State as well had – well, it still has a very talented roster, and they were able – and when you have a – such a talented roster like Ohio State does, you're able to exploit those uh, those little tiny holes in the elite Georgia defense, especially uh, Georgia secondary with as young as it is. Yeah, but you know, throughout this season, we talked about how dominant TCU's offense looked and how they kind of create something out of nothing, and the Bulldogs just absolutely stopped anything from happening. They locked down Max Duggan. Because, look, the X factor in this game was going to be, is Max Duggan going to be able to run around and and make things happen? And it was just obvious that that wasn't the case. The defensive line was all over him all night. And when you don't allow him to get into space, nothing is going to happen for that TCU offense. Yeah. Something that Georgia did, again, uh, looking at this as a coaching analyzing point, the reason Georgia did so well against Max Duggan is one that defensive line was killing Max Duggan two it only took they only had to rush about three uh defensive linemen at a time to get even a little bit of pressure on Max Duggan 
So by rushing only three and dropping one back as a quarterback spy, they were able to lock Max Duggan into the uh, into the tackle box the whole game, and so he couldn't scramble out and do anything. That defensive game plan uh, for Max Duggan was perfect, and it was perfectly executed by the Georgia defense. Yeah, and I think that's just a, a, another testament to Kirby Smart as a defensive head coach, but also uh, Dan Mullen. He's done a great – or sorry – Will Muschamp. Yeah, sorry. I get the two <laughs> mixed up. Whatever. Will Muschamp, a- as a defensive coordinator, you know, his first year with the Dogs, and this defense, you know, they lost, what? They lost 10 starters across this team, and they lost numerous defensive stars. And to come out this year with a new defensive coordinator and absolutely show out throughout the whole season – was extremely impressive and a, a huge, huge positive for Georgia going forward. Yeah, something uh, to kind of put a little spotlight on uh, Will Muschamp is people forget he was he's uh, for most all of his career has been a very successful defensive coordinator. He had that he had the two bad stints with Florida's with uh, the University of Florida and uh, S- South Carolina. But besides that, he's been – and even at both of those schools, he had a pretty successful defense. He uh, he was also a defensive coordinator, I believe, uh, for LSU when Nick Saban was there. So uh, Kirby Smart going back and getting Will Muschamp to be his defense coordinator, great job by Kirby Smart. I, I couldn't imagine, though, being a defensive player for uh, Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp. Just imagine how often you're getting yelled at. <laughs> Hey, man, it works, and that's what breeds great defensive players, and that's why we saw so many of them going in the first two rounds of the draft last year, and I could definitely see a couple more of these guys going early. Like, you've got, obviously, Keely Ringo is kind of slated in the middle. I think that in the NFL, Keely is probably going to be more of a safety because of the way that he can kind of move around the field. I don't think that the corner position really works all that well for him, but maybe maybe he can make some adjustments. And then there's just guys up and down the team. Obviously, Jalen Carter is just a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of talent, and there's a bunch of young talent as well that's not going to the draft, and I think that that is what really changes everything here, is that it's not just a bunch of seniors, and, and they were missing you know, the guy that – most people were looking at coming into this season. Um, Nolan Smith, that's his name, right? Nolan. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah, Nolan Smith was the guy coming into this year. You lose him after, I think, week four, week six, and you continue to be successful, and then you have a showing like this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime showing. You're not going to see this again, 65-7 to seven in a national championship game. That that's It's unprecedented. And it's not something that you're going to see anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, to go off what you were saying there about their young talent, is this is exactly what we saw with Alabama after the 2011-2012 season when they went back-to-back, and then they proceeded to go on the Dick Saban dynasty. Uh, he was at recruiting at such a high level that he – you know the starting linebacker get hurt, but they have three uh, three deep 
at various ages, young, uh, little, you know, one year of experience, two years of experience, some with zero year of college experience. And they're able to step in and fill the system because not only do they have great coaching and they, it is like a machine, you know, you, you know how to play your position in your sleep, but you have the confidence that that's what you get when you go to schools like Alabama and Georgia with these great uh, coaches and coordinators and being surrounded by such great uh, talent is it gives you the confidence to play at such a high level and the fact that you are just as good or better than the person in front of you. So especially if you're behind, if you're one of these uh, big time recruits behind someone starting, you have someone to look up to and you have someone to say, I want to be better than him. I don't want to be just as good as him. I want to be better. So there's, that's what's so great about the rosters like Alabama and Georgia and having those top tier recruits and recruiting classes is it, builds confidence it builds a competition it makes the player 10 times better and that's why players want to go there yeah I think that Georgia truly established on Monday that they are the new dynasty in college football the college football runs through Athens Georgia as of today yeah I I would have to agree with that statement with that being said I do believe Nick Saban has one more title left in him. He has at least one more. And I don't want to get too off topic, get too into this, but I watched college game day, and when I heard, if you saw Nick Saban's face when he was hearing what Reese Davis was saying about Georgia taking over, you could see Nick Saban was getting angry. So people can always need to remember, you can never count out Nick Saban. Yeah, of course. And there's other teams as well that are going to be you know, up at the top next year. But, yeah, dude, talking about that Nick Saban thing, it looked like he wanted to rip David Pollock's head off. Yeah, but that's what makes Nick Saban so great is he's the he is so good at being able to take his emotion and how angry he's not. He doesn't just yell and, it, you know, uh, breaks down these players. He can, he can, as I like to call this, and I've had football coaches say this before, they are constructively yelling at you. And what I mean by that, is the constructive yelling is makes gives you the energy, the motivation to want to do better, to want to prove these people wrong. And obviously, that's something I think you're born with. And I think that's something Kirby Smart was definitely born with. But then being under Nick Saban for all those years, it has helped him make this Georgia program so dang dominant. Yeah, and I do want to talk about um, something that a lot of people have uh, been mentioning, especially like ESPN and just like all the sports media outlets have been posting stuff about Stetson Bennett's story and how it just continues to get better. And I, I kind of just have a list of the accolades. So no offers coming out of high school, walks on at UGA, transfers to a JUCO out in Mississippi. Jones County. And then transfers back to UGA, gets the starting job after JT Daniels gets hurt. Now he's 29-3 and as a starter. The 2022 Burlesworth Award winner breaks Georgia's single-season passing record that I believe Aaron Murray was holding until this past game. And now he's a two-time national champion, a two-time national championship game, offensive player of the game and a one-time Heisman finalist. That is easily one of the best storylines we've seen in college football. 
Yeah, I think he is the second best player to ever play at the University of Georgia in college. Who are you giving that top spot to? I know he's been through some recent controversy, but come on. No one has ever put on the Georgia uniform and done it better than number 34, Herschel Walker. Okay, that's what I thought you were going to say. Because, yeah, Matthew Stafford was a great player. And, like, when it came to, like, NFL draft and, and, like, the future after college, I think Matthew Stafford had probably one of the biggest upsides. But I, I think that when it came to results, he fell short. But, yeah, I, I agree with Herschel Walker probably being the best Georgia Bulldog to put on a uniform. But I, I think Stetson has solidified himself as the greatest Georgia quarterback of all time. And I'm not saying he's the most skilled or even like you know, like the best at the quarterback position, but he is the greatest. It's kind of like with Tom Brady in NFL. Tom Brady's not the most talented quarterback of all time, but look at how he was able to lead his teams. He was and look at how he was able to control his teams and be the manager of the game and make those clutch plays. Stetson was able to do the same thing here at Georgia. And that's what led them to being called the greatest to uh, be in these uniforms. Yeah. And, and is there anything else you want to talk about with this game? I know we could go on forever about it. Yeah. One quick thing I just want to uh, put out there is Todd Munkin. Um, very, not, I'm not going to say underrated because he's definitely uh, – people acknowledge him, especially in the uh, sports world. Uh, in the college sports world, they will talk about how well he game plans and how and everything. And I just he he game planned perfectly for that game. He knew that everyone knows that Georgia is a run first team, so he knew that they ran a three three uh yeah three three five, and so and that those three um sorry three of their safeties uh play very aggressive and run very down hard into the box to help prevent the run because they're at the disadvantage uh, against the run. So he played – I mean, he called almost the perfect game when it came to the offense. He completely and utterly dismantled that TCU defense. Yeah, I, I didn't see this Georgia offense mess up at all. There was no slip-ups. It, it seemed like everybody – you were at least getting a couple yards on, on every run play. And, you know, majority of the pass plays were successful. And, yeah, across the board, the offense was just unstoppable. Yeah. I just – he – I'm surprised he hasn't uh, wanted to go take a uh, uh, head coaching job or because I'm surprised at least he hasn't been offered any or even entertained the fact because these last few seasons he's done very well as a Georgia offensive coordinator and has – put them in a very obviously two national championships now yeah he's putting together quite the impressive resume i think he's just kind of waiting around for you know a head coaching offer that that means something to him because obviously you know dan landing left last year because he just coached one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football of course he's going to get a great offer and i'm sure todd munkin's got plenty of offers come across his desk but i think he's looking for like the next spot, like the place that, you know, maybe they're in a good position and the coach left or retired, something in that 
vein where he's going to take over an offense that's already got the pieces and just make it happen there. Yeah, he. I mean, he's got. A, he's in a competition with his brother. You know, we got to see who's the better head coach. And right now, Jeff Munkin's winning. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to get into actually before we get into the next thing, uh, I want to just kind of hype up this video that we're gonna have coming out uh, near the end of the week, uh, probably Friday or Saturday. Um, me and uh, a friend of me and Brock's Connor uh, went down uh, and filmed in Athens. Uh, Luke joined us and just kind of got the reactions uh, of everybody out in the streets after the win and. I can't wait for everybody to see it because I had so much fun going out and filming this. And I think we did an amazing job. Um, shout out to Connor, Connor Fisher. He did an amazing job setting everything up, provided the camera, the mics, everything we needed. And, um, and shout out Luke as well for joining me and uh, picking up the load when I started to lose my voice. But, uh, yeah, let's get into uh, our favorite moments from the 2022-2023 college football season. And, Brock, I just want you to start it off. What was your favorite moment of the season? Oh, I mean, there there were just so many to pick from. This has been a very chaotic season. And I wish there was more for me personally to choose from, from more uh, personal experience. I mean, if I had to say – not even really to do with football, with the football world. More to have to do with myself. My favorite moment from this season has to be me and my opportunity with my job, with the football team, and getting to be a part of a lot of the Ole Miss wins and Vault Hemingway Stadium, getting to be on the sidelines and getting to go to the bowl game and uh, help out my team. And uh, that, that was probably the best part of this season for me. And I missed out on a lot of college football games, but – I will say I did get to see most of the really good, uh, really exciting games, and I think the LSU Alabama game was one heck of a game to watch, along with the Tennessee Alabama game. Yeah. So my favorite moment of the year has to be the Florida State versus LSU game. Just the end of that game let off it just like kick-started this amazing season that not many people saw coming from Florida State and as a Florida State fan that's had to witness this just horrible last couple of years it was like it was a relief to see us win in a big game against a good team and no it was a a pretty cheap win you gotta commend Florida State for how well not just they played in that game in keeping it close with LSU and ultimately winning, but also what they did off the back of that, which was they won, I believe, the next three or four games and then, you know, a, a tough skid for three games and then didn't lose another game the rest of the season. That is a phenomenal season from them. And the LSU game was just the Kickstarter for everything that's happened. Yeah, I definitely think for a Florida State, exactly how you put it. That win against LSU set up your season perfectly and exactly how y'all wanted to start, like as how anyone needs to start a season with a big win over a very good team. And so 
there's especially that when now there's nothing but a bright future for uh florida state honestly because of that win yeah it, it was crazy and then um yeah my second one just the end of that tennessee alabama game really the whole game was amazing but watching the end of that and kind of seeing this I guess you could say the awakening of this Tennessee team that we didn't really see coming. Like, yeah, they looked really good uh, in the games leading up to this Alabama game, but everybody kind of wrote them off thinking, you know what? Look, this is still Alabama, and they're better than Tennessee. Well, Tennessee won, and they rode that as far as they could. Obviously, Hendon ends up getting injured, and a couple other things happen, and the season gets a little bit derailed, but... Riding off the momentum of that Alabama game was so big for Tennessee. Yeah, that Alabama game, much like the LSU uh, Florida State game, really sat Tennessee up in a great position for recruits and for transfers because it shows that, hey, we're a new team. We just beat a team we haven't beat since what, the 90s? Like, I think it was like 2007. So. Uh, uh, uh what, 15 years. yeah, 15 years it took them to beat um Alabama, and they finally got to beat them and pro and was like, Hey, we're here, we're ready to play, and we want every we want all these you know recruits. We need y'all, we want y'all to be a part of this. Yeah, it was uh, amazing. And my last one I've got is kind of just like something that only happened, you know, uh, over the course of a couple of minutes, but. Max Duggan rushing for 95 yards in one drive to tie up the game against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, even though they lost. Just that spot right there was all that Max Duggan needed to be a Heisman finalist. It was that right there. And that's why he came second in the voting. Like It's things like that that you know create the legacy of a player because, yeah, Duggan's probably not going to go early in the draft, but it's this allure that is created by college football players because there's so many college football players that were amazing in college and, you know, never end up doing anything past that, but they're still remembered to this day. And I think that Max Duggan's going to be a guy that we remember for a long time. Yeah, I had to agree. That one drive is what really – because, I, I mean, I, I watched some of his games. And he looked good, and he was doing some good things and crazy things. And I was like, oh, this is a good quarterback. He's got a good future. When I saw that game, and he basically, for two drives in a row, single-handedly brings his team back into the game, that I, I was just said, holy crap. And when people remember Max Duggan at TC, when people talk about him, that's what they're going to talk about. They're going to talk They're You know, he may not have, they didn't win that game. He didn't win the championship, but that drive, his heart for the game. And they're going to point to those plays, right? They say, this is the love for the game. This is the love for his team. He had, this is what we want here at TCU. You know, he's creating a great legacy for himself just by being, obviously he was just being himself playing the game. He loves as hard as he could play. Yeah, I think I'd say that he's the third best TCU player of all time. I wish I could see more from him. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, 
It, he he wasn't even supposed to start this season. And yeah, he didn't start till what week two or three, right? Yeah, when the the freshman Chandler Morris won the starting job to start the season, gets hurt, and then Duggan just kind of took over. But yeah, I wish I wish we got to see more of Max Duggan because he is fantastic to watch play, and I just I don't see him having a, a lengthy NFL career or you know much of one at all. But you know this one year meant a lot and saying that he's the third best is saying that Andy Dalton is second and LaDainian Tomlinson is first yeah that's uh I can I can definitely agree with that I, I feel like if we get one more year of him I think for his for him I believe if he get one more year because I thought doesn't he have one more year left of eligibility he might and he could theoretically I guess he could undeclare or you know repeal his declaration for the draft. I'm not too sure how that works. But um I think he's kind of set on moving on. Yeah. I mean it's not my choice. It's not my call, but man, I just think he would have better stock. He would be and not only have better stock, but be just a much greater around overall player and just would continue his lore at uh, TCU and would really would go down in the TCU uh, football history books. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, he inevitably will. He'll be a guy that's remembered, especially around TCU and around college football. But, um, yeah, like you said, I, I do think he needs another year to really prove something. But, you know, we'll see because there's a lot of guys that I feel like need a little bit more or, you know, need to show a little bit more before they go to the draft that, you know, end up panning out. And he could end up being one of those guys. You never know when your opportunity is going to come. But I want to get into NFL Week 18, last week of the season. The playoffs are set. And let's just run through a, a couple of these matchups. So we'll start it off Saturday afternoon, Kansas City versus Las Vegas. Kansas City gets the win, 31-13. Off this win, the Chiefs get the one seed in the AFC. And honestly, like the offense didn't even look that great for Kansas City. Um, they were just very efficient in the red zone, especially with rushing. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, Ronald Jones, and Kadarius Toney all had rushing touchdowns, and then Pat Mahomes had one in the air. And look, this team... I feel like with this Kansas City team, they don't need to prove anything now because they are the one seed in the AFC, and you it's Patrick Mahomes, and it's Travis Kelsey, and like there's guys on this team that have proven themselves already, but what is going to happen in the playoffs? Because I feel like we see this similar stat line every week where it's like, okay, so this isn't really jumping off the board to me. Like, What is this going to look like when... You know, you've just played, you know, two teams full of pro bowlers. Yeah, I mean, that that Kansas City team, I've said it before, they're just set up for success. They have such good players, and they're just so good. Yeah, and then with Las Vegas, there's not much to talk about. Like, I, I don't want to talk about Jarrett Stidham. <laughs> I think he got his one week last week, and, and that'll be all for him. But yeah, it 
it's hard to watch the Raiders right now. But honestly, I feel like watching Stidham is a little more entertaining than watching Derek Carr because Derek Carr has not been good this year. But uh, let's get into Titans-Jags. This one was for the AFC South. The Jags take it 20-16, to and this game was huge. So the Jags win the AFC South. The Titans are eliminated from the playoffs, and it was just a sloppy game on both sides. There was turnovers. They only... Between the two teams, there was three plays in the red zone. And then, um, or sorry, three drives in the red zone. And then I think that the most embarrassing stat is that Josh Dobbs somehow had the highest ball carrier speed for the Titans. How does that happen? Uh, dude, I, I have no clue. I honestly forgot who Josh Dobbs was until they said he was a starter for this weekend. Yeah, I feel like there's been so many just random Tennessee quarterbacks throughout the years that he just kind of slipped through the cracks. But, like, the only thing I know about him is he does, like, what, like astrophysics or whatever? He's, He's a like, very smart man. Yeah, he did something with, like, spaceships or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, with this Titans team, dude, starting Josh Dobbs is just a cry for help. But at least he's played better than Malik Willis. Yeah, that uh, then they picked Malik Willis up early second round too last year. Yeah, yeah, I don't. They they should have. I don't even know. That wasn't the best pickup from them because I remember they didn't. I was like, oh, he he's got some upside. But I don't know if I'd get him this early in the draft. But um, you know that that game, uh, I, I got I got to see some of the highlights of and the very end. Uh, that was called a a fumble, correct? Um, I believe so. I didn't catch this full game, but, um, yeah. Are you talking about, um, for which side the fumble? I or, oh, sorry. I just, that made no sense. The, uh, it, I think it was a uh, strip sack and air quotes on, uh, Josh Dobbs. I honestly, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I just, I just, you know, got, uh, went through like the highlights of it because I didn't get to watch the game, and I'm pretty sure uh, they call it. To me, it looked more like a forward pass, but they claimed it was a, it was a, it was a fumble, strip sack, uh, and it turned the ball over, which gave the Jags the ball to, uh, you know, the ball at the end of the game to win, and you know. I, 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 you can't really blame it on the def, uh sorry, on the referees, because like you said, there were a lot of turnovers. It was just sloppy, just sloppy, sloppy football. Yeah, and, and like, look, Trevor Lawrence also didn't have a great game, you know, from what we've been seeing from him this year, and, and you know, really the whole Jags team didn't have a great game. Like Travis Etienne, seven carries, seventeen yards. Jamichael Hasty, three carries, five yards. Like that, that was nothing in the run game. And then Trevor, 20 for 32, 212, one touchdown. It's definitely not a bad performance, but, uh, you know, I'd expect a little bit more out of him. This is a division game against your rival to win the to win the division, and neither of these teams looked good at all. And, and so, you know, after that performance, I really don't like their chances come next weekend. Yeah, because aren't they uh, – oh, shoot. Uh, but – We'll, uh, we'll get on to a bit of the playoffs. I kind of want to hop, take a little segue to just kind of uh, hate on the Titans a little bit. Oh, please. Um, 
why do they like what what do they have against getting a good quarterback in there? I don't know. I, I think that, you know, Tannehill was serviceable because Derrick Henry, you can just hand him the ball and he'll do something. But honestly, look, you could say that yeah, Derrick Henry broke a hundred rushing yards. That's great. Well, he had thirty carries. Like he only averaged three point six yards per carry. Of course, you're going to get to 109. They gave you more carries than you guys attempted throwing the ball. It, yeah, it just feels to me every time I see the Titans play or see clips of them or anything, it's just Derrick Henry left, Derrick Henry right. And, you know, you can't do that in today's NFL. I mean, even Derrick Henry, he is a very powerful, a monster of a human being. But, you know, you, you can't just run him every play and expect to win a football game. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on in Tennessee. And, you know, I, I don't even think I can blame it on, like, the coaching staff because they do have a good coaching staff. I think Mike Vrabel's a, a great head coach, and, and they've got other guys on that staff that do a great job. But I, I think it comes down to the GM. I think he's the one that needs to take some initiative and, you know, start shopping for a quarterback. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, I'll actually tell you why they're doing bad. You want to know why they're doing bad? Enlighten yeah, me. we're at a Will Compton. That's right. Sign the boy <laughs> back, or don't, Sign and him let him, back. or let Taylor Lewan walk, and then them two can just find a team to sign with. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's get into Sunday's games. Uh, we'll start it off as always. The Falcons. Falcons beat the Buccaneers 30-17 to in the most irrelevant game of the season for the Falcons. And look, I got to be honest, the young guns were looking pretty good. And I know that Tampa wasn't trying. Whatever. I don't care. Because even against a team that's not trying, Desmond Ritter had an amazing game. 19 for 30, 224, two touchdowns. Still didn't throw an interception. He only got sacked twice. A 108.2 passer rating. He looked really good. And then Tyler Algier absolutely showed out. 24 carries, 135 on the ground. And then the other rookie, Drake London. Six receptions, 120. Like, this looks very good for the future. Yeah. You have no idea how excited I am about this kiss. As you know, I've always been more of a college football fan. But I do do pay a little bit of attention to my Atlanta Falcons. I have never been more excited as a Falcons fan. Well, actually, like, I haven't been this excited for the Falcons since they went to the Super Bowl a few years back. They just offensively look fine for the future. We have a lot of good talent, a lot of young guys. Like you said, Drake London, um, Algier, uh, all, or that's not his, uh, though, Kyle Pitts, and Desmond Ritter's doing a good job. We have a good offensive line. So this year in the draft, we don't need to go draft 500 offensive players so if we all we got to do is fix especially honestly just mostly our front seven we need to get some a couple edge rushers in there and to you know get get some more pressure on the opposing quarterbacks and get some freaking linebackers and we're going to be a pretty good team here come uh here in the next few years i think yeah i I think we will and and i i still don't think i could just go out and say that Desmond Ritter is like a long-term option for the Falcons. But you're right. We do need to be focusing on the defense. In this game, zero sacks, uh, only five QB hits. Like, they they need to pressure the quarterback or nothing's going to happen. And Tom Brady only played, I think, just the first half. 
So you were going up against Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask, and you still couldn't sack the quarterback. Desmond Ritter is not the answer for the future. He is a bridge quarterback. He's going to be here. He's going to win us some games. He's going to make us look good. He's going to make these young rookies look good. And he's going to be here for a few years, a, a few years. And then uh, we're going to hopefully either go in free agency, sign a quarterback, or pick one or trade up, get one in the draft or something after we get uh, fixed up our defense and we start becoming more of a formidable team. And I think that's really what we need to do is to just really focus on our defense this year and then next year and then in the next year's draft, get a little, uh, take some, I would still, I think you just got to have a good defense because defense wins championship. I'll all say that, but pick up another big player in the first round next year, trade it away or something and get a, uh, some more stock on us, but I, I just, I'm very excited for our future if we draft and hit free agency properly. Yeah. And then on the Buccaneers side of this game, you know, obviously this wasn't a game they needed to win. Their spot is locked in at four, but you'd have thought they'd have rested the starters a little bit more. I get, you know, keep them warm because you got to play next week, but you end up Russell Gage gets hurt. He it probably isn't going to play, and he's definitely not going to be 100% next week. And then uh, I'm pretty sure an offensive lineman went down as well. And now you screwed yourself over, and you're going into Dallas, or Dallas is coming to you, and Dallas is also coming off of bad performance, which we'll get into a little bit later. But, like, you, you got to know that injuries are going to happen. So... When there's guys that are super important to your team, just sit them. This game means mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, I agree. But you know, maybe they're Tom Brady said, "I don't want to lose to the Falcons. I have I'm, I have an undefeated record against them. Who knows?" But <laughs> I doubt he said that. But uh, yeah, no, that's a very good point. And coaches do that all the time. It doesn't make sense to me. And people, it happens a lot, especially in late game situations. If you know the game doesn't mean anything or you're going to win or whatever the situation is where you are not where the starters aren't needed to be in, take them out and put them on the bench. Keep them healthy. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot more I could say about the Buccaneers, but we'll get into that when we talk about the bracket. Um, but let's talk Patriots-Bills. This was a big one. Uh, so... Patriot or sorry, the Bills take it 35-23. Uh, this eliminates the Patriots from playoff contention. The Bills clinch the two seed in the AFC, and it, just all around a, a great game. You know, coming off of such a difficult week in Buffalo, um, they start off the game with just a bang. Naheem Hines returns the opening kickoff, and it, it felt just like a, a relief. Like just so much stress was knocked off their shoulders in Buffalo when that happened. It was like, okay, there's nothing to worry about now. And, and like throughout the week, they were receiving good news about Demar Hamlin, and Demar was like live tweeting the game, and, and it was just a, a amazing thing to see the Bills come out and just you know get on the board real quick. Yeah, that game was it was very fitting that the very first 
play of the game was the kickoff return. I mean, that Bills team came out to play, and they looked very good uh, for most of the game. Yeah, and then the the other kind of notable thing is the way that Mac Jones absolutely choked this game away. He, um, so they're only down 28-23 with just under 12 minutes left, and New England just falls apart. The Bills score a touchdown. Patriots go three and out. And then they get, they're get they given a second chance because the Bills muff the punt. And then Mac Jones throws an interception into the end zone. And then the Bills end up punting after they get the ball, or um, after the interception. The Pats have a shot to make something happen. With three and a half minutes left, you could score quickly and, and get the ball back. And then Mac Jones throws another interception and the game's over. Like, come on. Yeah, man, I I like Mac Jones, but he just he just hasn't been doing himself any favors. And, uh, and there's been a couple games this season where he has just done zero favors for himself at all. And, and I don't know what's going on with Bill Belichick up there, but he's just – I refuse to believe Tom Brady is the only key to his success, but – I think he was a big part of it because he does like to get those, quote, underrated players that you don't think about. And you need, if you're going to do that, you got to have someone, you got to have someone else on the team that's really, really good. Yeah. And I also, I think it comes down to the coordinators. We talked about their weird coaching situation earlier this year, but Matt Patricia's the offensive play caller. And that has obviously been their struggle. Look, Mac looked really good at the beginning of this game. He was having a great day. He had like uh, three touchdowns, one interception at one point. And then it just seems like week after week, we've seen the Patriots just absolutely lose it in the last like 10 minutes of the game. Yeah. Just gonna, uh, you know, just gonna go off the two goats here, both uh, both leagues, college and uh, NFL. I think you can arguably say, and I, I, which I'm kind of argue for it, that the coordinators were their issues this year. And you, you of course made the very good point there too. Um, yeah, that Patricia seems to be uh, their issue there on uh, the Patriots on their side. Yeah, he he just. I don't get it. He just can't get it done. And he used to be a great coordinator for them before he took that Lions job. And now it just seems like he can't call a fourth quarter to save his life. But on the Buffalo side, there was some standout performances. Stephon Diggs is back to normal. Seven receptions, 104 and a touchdown. And then you've got things that help you out in the rushing game. James Cook and Devin Singletary don't often stand out. When it comes to just running the ball, like, you know, they're not going to often get, you know, high yard totals, but James Cook, nine carries, 45 yards. Devin Singletary, seven carries, 29 yards. It, it just, they get themselves into good positions, and it's the key to their success, obviously, outside of Josh Allen being just a phenomenal quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Allen, just something I just want to say about him is I, I was watching one of his throws and, he was standing flat-footed, I believe, on the 40-yard line on the uh, 
like on not on the I guess the far forty yard line and throws to the back of the end zone, flat footed, squared, squared shoulders and flat foot like it was insane to me. I was that actually guy- about to talk about this because I was looking at some uh the NFL next gen stats and Josh Allen led the league this week with the highest uh or the longest completed air distance um at 62.2 yards in the air on that completion. Yeah, I just I, when I see that I'm like how? Just how? Yeah, he he's ridiculous and he's just got that raw talent, but he also has the intangibles and that's what makes him a top quarterback in this league. Yeah, it, that is. It, it's he not only does he have a great arm talent he like you said he has the intangibles. He has great decision making. He had he he I mean to go along with the great decision making, he uh can he makes good decisions on when to run the ball, when to pass the ball, when you know, when to do all those things. The intangibles is what makes or breaks you in the NFL. Yeah. And let's talk about a team that really choked away their shot in a in an interesting way. The Texans. The Texans beat the Colts 32-31. to And, yeah, it may sound weird that I said that the Texans choked. Well, it's because if they would have just lost, they would have got the first overall pick. It's that simple. And now, they might have screwed themselves. And I'll talk about that kind of situation um, a, a little bit later. But, yeah, the Texans, for no reason... Like, Davis Mills throws a touchdown at the end of the game, and then they go for two. And, like, you could say that going for two was their attempt at not scoring, but what football player is going to go out on the field and just throw away a two-point attempt? Of course, these guys are NFL players. They can convert two-point conversion, and I just, I don't get it. And then, of course, right after the game, Lovey Smith gets fired. Yeah, something you said there that I kind of want to point out is, uh, like you said, they're NFL football players. And I think they kind of want to win at the same time. It's like, in the football player's mind, they're probably like, okay, you know, we're at first or second pick to them doesn't really mean too much. So, like, I can't be too upset with, you know, a team winning when, you know, they should have lost to take the first overall pick. But, like, you know, I can get the frustration as a fan, as a, you know, from an outsider. But I think as a team, they wanted that win, you know, not to be – so they didn't go down as one of the worst football teams of all time. Yeah, I get it. But also, you know, maybe – and I'm just going to go ahead and talk about this scenario where, you know, the Bears could trade down and, you know, maybe with the Colts, and then the Colts would get the first overall pick and most likely pick a quarterback and possibly steal – whoever the Texans wanted, which is most likely Bryce Young. I don't think that's who the Colts need because I don't think that Bryce Young is going to come out as the number one overall pick. But once again, I'll talk about that later. Um, Yeah, I just – I don't get it. And then, like, firing Lovey Smith, this is two straight years uh, where you fire a coach uh, in his first year. And now, after the game, just a little more aftermath for this – Brandon Cooks comes out and he's like, I don't want to be on a team that's rebuilding. So he's gone. Yeah. 
I, and I understand the NFL is a business, but I hate nothing more than firing coach after one season. How, how do they prove anything? Like he walked into the worst situation in the league. Yeah. He didn't have a, I mean, he did a great, when he was with the bears, he did a great job and rebuilt them and took them to the playoffs, took them to a Super Bowl. But it takes time to do this, and people forget that they want results immediately, and you cannot expect results immediately. Yeah, it it just boggles my mind what goes on in the Texans organization. But let's talk about Vikings-Bears. So the Vikings beat the Bears 29-13. The Vikings earned the three seed in the NFC from this win, and... Because the Texans lost, the Bears get the first overall pick. And like I just said, it it just shuffles everything around. But there's not all that much to talk about here. The Vikings went up early, pulled the starters, and the Bears started Nathan Peterman. So, hey, Nathan Peterman didn't throw an interception. That's the storyline here today. (laughs) That's all I hear, yeah. Nathan Peterman, no interceptions. I think that's his first game ever without an interception, huh? It, it probably is. I definitely <laughs> wouldn't put it past him. And we got a little bit of Tim Boyle action, which you get like once a season at the end of a game. <laughs> but um, let's go ahead and talk Bengals-Ravens. This one, um, I, I, it's weird to say that this one was for the division with the canceled game, but they could have gone to like a coin toss. Who knows? But the Bengals win it 27-16. So the Bengals get the three seed and win the division. The Ravens get the six seed. And now they're going to match up next week. And I, I just I have to say this before we even talk about anything. John Harbaugh, I know you're listening for sure. Stop forcing backup quarterbacks to give your offense life. Just hand off the ball. Like Anthony Brown. A, a, a player who was like a sixth-year senior coming out of Oregon. He's a rookie now. He threw 44 passes. It, 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 like, for what? What What did he just throw 44 passes for? For 286 yards that meant nothing? Or, or the two interceptions he threw? Like, that was just a ridiculous game plan when you start Anthony Brown. Yeah, I don't that's, – that's just crazy to me. Something about the hard balls, and they're just crazy, man. I mean, wh- why? Like, yeah, you're exactly right. He's your backup quarterback. Don't put the weight of the game on his shoulders, especially when you have a star quarterback like Lamar Jackson. You don't need to just put the guy out there, let him just give him simple plays. You don't do anything crazy. Just you try to get through. Yeah, it, it, it's a performance like this that ruins a guy's shot at even getting a job. And yeah, I get it. Yeah, he's already a third-string quarterback, and he's a rookie, whatever, and, and nobody's ever thought that Anthony Brown was going to be something in the NFL. But, you know, maybe at some point down the road, if he would have had, you know, just a decent game, he gets a contract, maybe ends up just being a backup. But... You make him do something like this, and teams are like, oh, well, he didn't look good in that one appearance he got, so we're not signing him. And now he's just screwed. Uh, I I do want to give a shout-out, though, to Isaiah Likely. 
Um, filling in for Mark Andrews, eight receptions, 103 yards. That's a great performance. Sammy Watkins, two receptions, 79 yards. Good on them, but still, like this offense made no sense, and it's why they lost by you know a, a pretty commanding win for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they took the their foot off the gas in the second half, but that's not a big deal. Yeah, I just you know good for Cincinnati, second year in a row. They win. They they win when they need to win. I mean, good for them for knowing when they got to play their hearts out. Yeah, and, and like. I will say that in this game, the Bengals really didn't excite me very much. Um, they they weren't really going for like the long pass plays like they normally do, and like T. Higgins had a horrible game. Seven or sorry, yeah, seven targets, one reception, Ooh. and like, and, and they're healthy compared to this Ravens team that's beat up. Like, the Ravens are missing Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and Mark Andrews, and Devin DuVernay. Yeah, uh, of course they were going to look like garbage on offense. Cincinnati, you you guys don't have an excuse. Joe Mixon couldn't run the ball, and and obviously you guys ended up pulling him later in the game. He couldn't really run the ball, though he got a touchdown. Joe Burrow had an okay game, 25 for 42, 215, and a touchdown. But nothing there jumps off the page. It doesn't make me want to say that you guys are going to play well in the in the playoffs. But then again, these guys are playing this time next week. Yeah, I think for Cincinnati, they didn't want to do anything crazy because they know they played them again. And they just wanted to get – they knew they could win the game if they did the bare minimum. And I kind of think that's what they went for. They just said, you know what, we're going to do the bare minimum, get through this game – and then you know when we play them again, we'll bring you know we'll bring it out like like we're like we're gonna play how we're supposed to play when we play them next, you know. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, you don't want to show them what you got, but at the same time, it's a division opponent, man. You should be going out there and just beating up on them just for fun. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just you know it's the last week, and when you know you can win against a very injured team, you just want to rest and not put yourself in a situation where you get an important player injured or something like that. Yeah. And uh, let's talk just a a very small amount uh, about Dolphins-Jets. The Dolphins win it 11-6. And with that win, the Dolphins grab the seven seed in the AFC. But, yeah, this game sucked. Uh, Skylar Thompson versus Joe Flacco, a a matchup that nobody saw coming, wanted to happen, needed – wanted to see whatsoever it happened though and it reflected in the final score (laughs) i can't believe joe flacco still in the league (laughs) yeah it's just absurd that i'm even talking about joe flacco in week 18 of the 2022 season yeah it's ridiculous but like the jets couldn't do anything and it didn't seem like they were trying the Dolphins couldn't do anything. It didn't seem like they were really trying outside of the run game. And I, I just, you know, I want to give out my sincerest condolences to all of the Jets plus three and a half betters. Because <laughs> on the game clock, the time expired, and it was nine to six Dolphins. 
and so the Jets would have covered. And I'll be honest, I don't even know what happened that put time back on the clock, but the Jets get the ball back, and then the Dolphins get a safety off of them. Like that, that just sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, that's, you got to risk it when you gamble, man. <laughs> I guess. Hey, always know your odds. Uh, I have to agree. That game just it, – it's just terrible. All, I do have to say this. Oh, my goodness. Uh, just got a ESPN update. That's crazy. Uh, I'll let you check that up, and we might bring it up later. I am not seeing what you're seeing, but uh, you want me just to say it real quick? Yeah, no, go ahead and say it. It's breaking news. Breaking news alert. Yeah, breaking news. Air Force football player dies. Offensive lineman Hunter Brown dies at 21 years old after suffering medical emergency on his way to class. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing this as well. Okay. So it looks like Academy first responders were called and attempted life-saving measures. Um, school said it's standard procedure. Yeah, there's not much information yet. Um, we'll talk about this more once we can hear more about it. But, um, yeah, wow, that threw me off. But thoughts and prayers go out to... Uh, Hunter Brown, uh, his family, anybody close, and, and obviously um, the entire Air Force football team. That is extremely sad to see. Yeah, that is crazy. I Again, yeah, very much thoughts and prayers will be going out to the, the family and friends of, of uh, Hunter Brown and the Air Force football family. That is insane. Um Goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah, that threw me off. But, all right, let's get back into the NFL. Um, the most irrelevant game, honestly, the Panthers-Saints. Uh, Panthers win it 10-7. to And you know what? We're just going to move on because there's literally nothing to talk about here. Um, the Good Steelers call. beat the Browns 28-14. But, unfortunately, for... Our our buddy Luke, the Steelers are eliminated because the Dolphins won. And, and Let's look, go. look, look. <laughs> okay, the Steelers played pretty well. Uh, Kenny Pickett's not great, but Najee Harris had a good game. And look, I really liked what I saw out of this Steelers team, especially the last like five weeks. They looked great. Uh, a, a team that. I kind of wish could have been rewarded. Do I think they would have gotten out of the first round? Of course not. They would have had to play the Bills. But I just, you know, I wish we could see more from the Steelers team because it, it looked like things were turning around. You know, they were, you know how they were rewarded? Their head coach's streak is still alive. That's true. Mike Tomlin, never been below 500. And then for the Browns, Deshaun Watson, outside of the two interceptions and getting sacked seven times for 57 yards, had a good game. Yeah, you cannot – that's something that people tend to forget is, um, yeah, of course, quarterbacks can get some some hate for throwing two interceptions, but you just said it. He got sacked for, what was it, seven times? Yeah. So if I had to guess, those two interceptions is because he had a big old fat defensive lineman – tackling him or in his face and he was not able to throw it accurately yeah oh. and that 
it, when you see those two numbers, they obviously correlate. And that, yeah. that one just falls on the offensive line. But outside of that, 19 for 29, 230 and two touchdowns. You, you can't really be mad at Deshaun Watson for that game. And, look, they need all they can get. And, and to finish the season with a decent performance from him, um, Nick Chubb actually got uh, – he got 77 yards on the ground, but he also got involved in the passing game, which we don't typically see as much. A lot of times Kareem Hunt is the running back in those situations. But Nick Chubb, nonetheless, five receptions, 45 yards, and a receiving touchdown – that's good to see as well. Yeah, it's all I, I like Nick Chubb. He's always been a very good running back, and I always thought he had a bright future. So it's all it's always great to see when he does good. Yeah, and now we get into Broncos Chargers. Uh, the Chargers win it thirty one twenty. Or sorry, the Broncos win it thirty one twenty eight. But the Chargers have the five seed uh, due to conference wins over the Ravens and. Look, the Chargers didn't actually look that bad. I think it's more surprising that the Broncos looked good. Where was this all season? Russell Wilson, though the completion percentage was a little rough, 13 for 24, 283, three touchdowns, only one interception, got sacked twice. Latavius Murray, 15 carries, 103. Jerry Judy had a ridiculously good game, five receptions, 154. Like, where did this come from? Hey, man, they fired that head coach, and <laughs> he must have been an issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what was going on. And also, the Broncos had four fumble recoveries. One of them, were, or sorry, two of them were just to keep the ball after fumbling it. But still, two, two fumble recoveries to get the turnover off of DeAndre Carter's fumble and Austin Eckler's fumble, that is... Wild. I, I don't ever see that many names in, in the fumbles on the box score. Yeah, well, something we talk about all the time is controlling turnovers, uh, preventing turning the ball over, which they did. Uh, two examples right there. They fell on the ball when they fumbled it, and then they also got two fumbles, correct? Um. Yeah, so they lost one. Uh, they fumbled the ball a total of three times. Okay, but so they limited the turnovers, basically. And I mean that's that's all you can do. They they did a pretty good job. Uh, I think that's another thing uh, they did this game is controlling the turnovers. Uh, and that's what made them look better. Is it gave them those extra opportunities to score and uh, you know actually look like a real football team for once this football season. Yeah, that that's a a pretty surprising surprisingly good performance for the Broncos. That gets them to five wins. So they they finally climbed that hill. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face. The Broncos still suck, but let's talk about Giants Eagles. Um, the Giants had nothing to play for. Uh, Daniel Jones didn't play. Saquon didn't play. Uh, the leading receiver was Lawrence Cager, so you you know that they weren't really trying. And look, they didn't need to. Their spot was locked up at six, but the Eagles win. 22 to 16. The Eagles keep the one seed in the NFC. The Giants already have the six seed. So that is all lined up now. Jalen Hurts actually had a, a decent game coming back from the injury, but we still see 
where his injury is affecting him, and it's that he's not running the ball as much. Yeah, he had nine carries only for 13 yards, and it seemed like every time he got tackled, you just like saw like all of the coaching staff like close their eyes and just hope that he got up fine. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Jalen Hurts is the heart of this offense because when they had uh, other quarterbacks, in which I was very surprised, uh, even when Gardner Minshew went in, uh, he, he proved to be good down at a uh, down at Duval country, but uh, he just didn't really do too didn't really do too much, and so they did, you know they wanted to keep that one seat, so they kept Jalen in. But yeah, man, nothing is scarier than putting in your star player and just hoping <laughs> and praying nothing happens to him because you know football is a crazy game crazy things happen we've seen it a couple times a season you know and last week prime example the crazy things happen in this game yeah uh i'm glad that jalen hurts is good because i can't wait to see him play it like you know a hundred percent in a playoff game, and he's going to get the extra week of rest. And, you know, Lane Johnson was out this week. He's going to be back for the playoffs because he's uh, he's deciding to wait until the end of the season to get surgery. Um, I believe that uh, Josh Sweat might come back. I'm not too sure. But with this extra week of rest, it really helps this Philadelphia team just kind of get everything back together before they move on. And... um. I'm actually really looking forward to both of these teams in the playoffs. I think that the Giants, um, we're going to talk about later, but they're going to play the Vikings, and I think that they match up pretty well. But um, let's talk Cardinals 49ers. 49ers take it 38-13. The 49ers earn the two seed in the NFC, so they'll be taking on a team that we'll talk about in just a second. And look, I... Brock Purdy, again, having a great game. 15 for 20, 178, three touchdowns. That's good for a passer rating of 141.3. Look, they're doing it right. Kyle Shanahan is doing it right in San Fran. And he's doing exactly what we've talked about with other coaches where you know other coaches miss is when you've got – you know, either a young quarterback or a backup quarterback, simplify the game plan. Brock Purdy shouldn't throw more than probably 25, 30 passes in a game with the other talent on this team, and they're doing a great job of limiting the amount of opportunities he has to screw everything up. Yeah, and another thing I'd like to point out is not only is Kyle Shanahan doing a great job, like you said, limiting his passes, but that uh 49ers team is set it's just set up to win they have a stacked defense they have a great offensive line they have good running backs so when you're set up to where you don't need a you know superstar quarterback and you can have these uh performances from a where you, you know you just need a quarterback that can get in there and manage the football game you're set up pretty good yeah and, and of course the cardinals suck uh, David Blau started the game. I don't even know what's happening in Arizona, man. I don't even want to try to keep up with it. 
They yeah, did they like- did fire Cliff Kingsbury though. So we've been calling that one all season. We called for his job in like week twelve. I think the first episode of the podcast, we were calling him out and it finally came to fruition. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it, the writing's been on the wall. Oh and I just there's just something about him. I don't know. Guess guess I'll probably see him as the uh, offensive coordinator at state next year, huh? Probably. He might be the head coach. Uh, who knows? Actually, I could I could actually see that happening. All right, let's go ahead and start that rumor now. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury. Well, Cliff Kingsbury, Mississippi State head coach in 2023. I mean, it would be fitting, you know, he's of the isn't he of the uh Mike Leach tree? Uh I'm I don't know. I know that Cliff um coached Texas Tech after Mike Leach. I'm not too sure if he was with him but um regardless um I, I do think that that's a, a possibility because cliff definitely hasn't really proved much in the nfl so let's get into a, a couple of games that actually mean something um the seahawks versus the rams seahawks take it 1916 in overtime game winning field goal and the Seahawks win eliminates the Lions from the playoffs. But the Seahawks, they had to wait around for Sunday Night Football to conclude to see what their destiny looked like. And look, Kenneth Walker did his thing. 29 carries, 114. Geno Smith had a solid day. 19 for 31, 213, one touchdown. Two interceptions is a little rough, but he also got 51 rushing yards. So... Um, I think that the big thing with this Seahawks team is that everybody plays their role to a T. Geno Smith throws his 30 passes. Kenneth Walker gets his 25-plus carries. Tyler Lockett gets his receptions. Though he missed three targets and DK missed five targets, still, these guys do their job, and that's why the Seahawks win games. And, you know, we... I don't think they're going to beat the 49ers in the first round, but it'll definitely be an interesting game. The Seahawks and 49ers have played some good games this season, um, but that'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, I think that's going to be a good game. Uh, At at the end of the day, it's going to be a good game between uh, the Niners and them because, I mean, the Seahawks, they've been pretty good this year. Yeah. not the best, nothing crazy, but I mean they've looked pretty good and pretty solid. Like you said, the when people do their jobs, you know they they tend to take care of business. So it's gonna be a, a good one to watch. Yeah, and then we've got Cowboys Commanders. The Commanders win twenty six to six, and I was so lost while watching this game because Dak Prescott sucks really bad like he's really really bad and also Sam Howell looked pretty good yeah I kind of wish they would have started Sam Howell much earlier in the season and let him get a few more a little more playing time yeah he, he played super well 11 for 19 169 one touchdown only one interception and then also five carries 35 yards and a rushing touchdown for him that is some impressive stuff out of Sam Howell. And then for the Cowboys, they couldn't run the ball. It, it didn't even seem like they were trying to run the ball. And then 
Dak couldn't complete a pass to save his life, and uh, like the wheels just fell off. Uh, the the muff punts, the just ridiculous playing uh, across the board for this entire game for the Cowboys, and it was pretty obvious that when they came out in the second half, they were just like, yeah, this game is out of our control at this point. It doesn't matter. The Eagles won. Like the Eagles were probably gonna win. It, it ultimately didn't matter for the Cowboys, and they obviously played like it. Yeah, that you, you took exactly what I was gonna say. They just did not care. Is what I mean. Just what it looks like to me. They knew that they were content being in the playoffs, and that's about where they were. And that just kind of seems to be the Cowboys thing, you know. Once it comes around playoff time or gets close to playoff time, they just don't really do anything. Yeah, so the Cowboys still get the five seed uh, due to their loss in the Philadelphia win. <clears throat> so they'll be facing the uh, the Buccaneers in the first round. And um, now we get into Sunday night football. Uh, it, the seventh seed in the NFC came down to this game. Unfortunately, before the game started, the Lions got eliminated, but the Lions just hate the Packers, so they weren't just going to let them have this one, and they didn't. The Lions beat the Packers 20-16, to and the Packers were eliminated from the playoffs. The Seahawks get the seventh seed out of it, and there's a, a lot coming out of this game. Uh, we'll run through just the stats first, and then there, there's a couple of things to talk about news-wise. Uh, Rodgers didn't really play that bad. Um, he just didn't show that he was Aaron Rodgers. He, he didn't do what we all think of from him. It is 17 for 27, 205, one touchdown, one interception. This is a guy that absolutely kills in division games and just absolutely beats up on the Lions year after year and comes out and just Really, like he didn't have the takeover ability that we talk about so often with the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I just, I mean, you know, there, there are those off years, and he just did not look like himself this year, really. Yeah, and, and then for Detroit, they looked pretty solid. Uh, I think that the thing that gave them the advantage in this one was creative play calling because. It was tough, you know, the last couple of weeks. The people that matched up with this Packers defense had been struggling. And I think that the creative play calling was a good way to just kind of best this defense that had ha- that had been hot for a couple of weeks now. And just like like that lateral play uh, to kind of ice the game there. And then just over and over again. And like DeAndre Swift had a great game in the passing game or in the receiving game, he had seven receptions for 61 yards, which, like, it's not amazing until you realize that a majority of the time, DeAndre Swift was catching these balls, like, three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage and just getting yardage out of it every single time. And it just seemed like the Packers had no stop for it. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope uh, the Packers figure something out here. But that being said... I don't know if you mind, but uh, I kind of want to say something about what Aaron Rodgers said at the end of the game. Oh, please do, because uh, this is the big storyline I want to talk about. 
Yeah, this is kind of all I care about from that game, to be honest, because, as you know, I don't really care for the Packers, and I do like to see the Lions win. So, But, um, I mean, you – what did he say? Uh, uh, no, nah, I want to keep this one when he was asked for his jersey. Yeah, so J- I think it was Jamison Williams um, went up to him, and there he wanted to do a jersey swap. And, yeah, Rodgers said, nah, I'm going to keep this one. And then there was a couple more things. He walks to the locker room, kind of like arm on the shoulder of Randall Cobb, his longtime wide receiver, you know, them by their each other's side, and then gets into his post-game interview and is just kind of like laughing, chopping it up with all the uh, reporters, not really saying much about football. And it kind of seems like he's retiring. I mean, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, look at his career. Yeah, dude, retire. You're gonna you're gonna be a Hall of Famer. Um, I could see him wanting to go out for one more uh, Super Bowl, possibly. But dude's about to turn forty, or sorry, dude just turned thirty nine. I mean, in football years, that's pretty old. You know, the body doesn't heal like it used to. Those bruises and broken ribs and cuts and all that they they start to hurt more especially when you're up and older like that and you know he's had one heck of a career what four mvps one super bowl one super bowl mvp like what four all pros or something like that yeah it's been a ridiculous road for aaron Rodgers. and look he won a super bowl he's got nothing else to prove but like you said a little bit earlier, a couple of minutes ago, is he might be looking for one more run, but I don't see that one happening in Green Bay. Yeah, I he doesn't get it in Green Bay. I think he meant to pull a Peyton Manning here and just go to a team that all they need is a quarterback and just go one, two years there and try getting that Super Bowl. Should he go to Tennessee? I think if he went to Tennessee, that would be crazy for Tennessee. They'd have to get him some more receivers, though. They would, dude. Imagine if they never traded AJ Brown and Aaron wanted to go there for one season. <laughs> like that would be that would be insane. Yeah, it, it. So yeah, the the future of the Packers, uh, just you know, we're gonna be watching it throughout this whole off season to see what comes out of it because a whole lot of stuff could happen here. You know, Rodgers could come back and maybe something else, something happens next year where they just get better or he leaves or he retires. Who knows what's going to happen in Green Bay? But for now, it looks like Rodgers is going to retire. They didn't make the playoffs. Like, they're in a bad spot. Yeah, and if they lose Aaron Rodgers, which obviously it's looking very strongly that they are, what are they going to do? Because he's kind of their entire team, and they've done everything they can to make him happy. Well, he doesn't have to be the whole team if they just run the ball. But, <laughs> yeah, Jordan Love hasn't really done much to impress me in the in the few games he's played. Maybe he just needs the playing time. But 
look, the Packers have great players. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are one of the better running back duos in the league. And then Christian Watson has really come into his own. He had a great game on Sunday. Alan Lazard is a great player. Robert Tunyon's a pretty solid tight end. And now we're just kind of left wondering until we hear anything about the future of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I mean, I'll leave it with this with him because he's one of he is, you know, one of the greatest football players to do it. So if this is his last game, you know, it sucks that he's gonna have to go out on the bottom like that, but man, what what a career. Yeah, and I don't even want to like sit here and talk about Rogers yet because I, I'm just gonna deny that he's retiring until I actually hear it and and I see that week one of next year he's not on a team. Because I could definitely see him pulling some some Brady stuff and just being like, "Yeah, I'm yeah. retiring," and then not. Yeah, I could see. I just, I just don't think he he's gonna go back to, if he comes back. I just don't know if it's gonna be with the Packers. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just, the last few years, they've just – he hasn't seemed to like it there. He just – I don't know. He just always seems like there's an issue or something with him. And maybe he just needs another another uh, uh, team, you know, just to end his career on a high note or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that – you know, we talk about it a lot normally with guys that aren't this far into their career, but like, you know, some new scenery, you know, something, something new, a new stadium to play in some new guys to be like in the locker room with can change the course of somebody's career. But at this point, what good does it do him? He doesn't need a second Super Bowl. He doesn't need another MVP. He doesn't need to be an all pro quarterback. He's already gone and done it. Yeah, he's proven himself that he's one of the best, and he is a competitor. So I could I could fully understand him saying, "Hey, I want to go out on top." You know, I I want to go out on top like Breaking Bad. Like I could get that man, and just <laughs> want him to say, "Hey, just whoever he thinks needs a quarterback, and he thinks he can win him a, a championship, go there for two three seasons and." If he can win a Super Bowl in those times, or even make a Super Bowl, I think that'd be a great way to end a, end your career. Like the way Peyton Manning ended his career is one of my favorites. Yeah. All right, we're gonna get off this topic. There's one more thing I want to talk about with this Packers game, and, and that's what stupid thing Quay Walker did. It's one of the most idiotic things I've seen a player do in a while. So, the play's over. A Lions player is down on the field. And the trainers are like coming onto the field to like I, I believe they were going to check on him. And Quay Walker was kind of still getting up, but he was just in the way of this trainer. And the trainer kind of tried to like sneak through because he's trying to get to his player. And Quay Walker pushes this trainer out of the way and then gets ejected. And, and that was so it, it's immature, it's undisciplined, and one hundred percent deserving of an ejection. Yeah, no, that definitely deserves an ejection. That deserves a fine. And I don't know if they do it in the NFL, but that's if if I was a coach, I'm taking you after practice and <laughs> we're running sprints until you throw up. Like, that's just 
Dude, um, just... imagine the look on Kirby Smart's face if Quay Walker did that while he was at Georgia. Oh, yeah. He he would literally be running until he didn't have legs anymore. Like he he'd be running until he couldn't feel his legs, and then Kirby would still have him run. He'd be crawling. Yeah. It, it amazed me when I saw that. I, I could not believe it. But because I, I mean, I get it. You get yourself in the game. You're just focused. You get irritated, frustrated, whatever. But something like that is just so dumb, stupid, immature. So many words we could use for it, but just something I would, I will never understand. It's just why players do things like that. Yeah, I, I, I can't understand it. But let's talk about the playoff bracket real quick. Um, we're not going to give our predictions yet. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, me, me and Luke are going to do that on Thursday. But um, we'll talk, you know, how it stands at the moment. And right now, so the Chiefs and the Eagles both get a first-round bye. And then the 2-7 matchup in both, or in both conferences. So you've got in the AFC, the Bills versus the Dolphins. NFC, you've got 49ers versus Seahawks. And then the 3-6 matchups. AFC, you've got Bengals-Ravens. And then NFC, you've got Vikings-Giants. And then the 4-5 matchups. Uh, AFC, you've got Jags-Chargers. And NFC, you've got Buccaneers-Cowboys. Uh I don't understand the scheduling on this. I don't think that the Buccaneers-Cowboys deserves to be the Monday night game. I think that's ridiculous. But, you know, at the same time, I get it. You know, it's Tom Brady. Maybe it's his last season. Who knows what's going to happen there. So, yeah, put it on on a Monday night football game. But I just, I don't like it. I don't think that they, that's not the best matchup of the first round. Yeah, no, I agree. That's definitely not the best matchup of the first round. But, I mean, you kind of said best. It's Tom Brady. And a lot of people tune into football just because of Tom Brady's name. Yeah. So, they're going to go with whoever's going to get the best, the most viewers, you know. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny that uh, Seattle versus San Fran is Saturday mid-afternoon, because I actually think that's a good matchup. I don't know why it's getting that slate. I feel like they should have probably flipped it. I think that the Chargers versus Jags should have been the 430, and then Seattle versus San Fran should have been the 815 game. But, you know, the scheduling doesn't matter. It's just, you know, a different time to watch a football game that everybody's still going to watch. But, yeah, the the scheduling kind of confused me. Um, Brock, just from here, because you're not going to be on Thursday's episode, who you got in just the first round's games? The most excited for me and what I'm looking forward to is I will 100% be watching the Seattle uh, uh, and Niners game. Uh, I said it earlier, this looks like a really fun game to watch. Um, I, I think the Niners are definitely going to win. I don't know if we're predicting or whatever yet. but yeah, no, feel free to give your predictions. I'm going to give mine on Thursday. I just wanted yeah. you to get yours out there. Yeah, man, I think the Niners are going to be able to pull through through here against the Seahawks. Just 
I think the Niners, I, I've said it a, a billion times, they're a very complete team. They have the defense. They have the, all the uh, all the things you need to have except for a successful offense, a very good offensive line. They have the they have a few receivers. They have the running backs. They have a competent quarterback that can get the ball where it needs to be. And I think that that's just what's what's going to put them over uh, Seattle. And then, of course, another game just because. I'll be yelling it is uh, the Jaguars versus Chargers. I think that's going to be a lot, a much better of a game than what people think it's going to. I uh, think uh, the Jags might surprise us a little w- when we watch them. Yeah, the Jags are good. Like, uh, objectively, they're a good team. Um, I just think that when it comes down to it, you need extremely strong offensive efficiency from the Jags to keep up with the Chargers. Like both of these teams, they don't have outstanding defenses. I think the Chargers just kind of barely edge them out there. But I do think that this could end up being like a a little bit of a tight, high-scoring affair. Yeah, I think this is going to be uh, if, of course, the Jags play to their potential and so I think the Chargers with Justin Herbert, he's just consistent week in and week out, and they're going to look good. But I think the Jags play how they've played in previous games this year and look and do what they're supposed to. They're going to – it's going to be high scoring. I, I, I got to root for the Jags. I think I'm going to take the Jags in a close one. Okay. All right, so who you got in Giants-Vikings? Or sorry, Dolphins-Bills <laughs> Dolphins, Dolphins Bills is first. Dolphins-Bills. Um, considering Tua is probably still concussed and probably can't even tell you what's what the difference between up and down or right now, is I'm gonna have to go with the Bills. The the Dolphins, I mean, without Tua and without Tua being 100 percent healthy, they're they they aren't that good of a team because they don't have a backup uh, that's really competent at all. So like, I th- like they, think they've got Teddy Bridgewater, but also Teddy was out this week. So who knows? What's going to happen? I think Teddy Bridgewater will probably be back for it, but, yeah, I, I still don't think that changes much. I don't, Yeah, like I said, I don't think that changes much. And Teddy Bridgewater was a good, has been a good quarterback, and he has done some good things, but he also has been very prone to injury in the past. Um, so I just think – I think the Bills are right now are just going to play, play and just playing to win. They're going to play for DeMar, uh, you know, play for him and – I just don't think the Dolphins really have uh, – it's going to be a good game, but I think the Bills are going to win by at least a touchdown. Yeah, I like that. All right, who you got, Giants-Vikings? Giants-Vikings, uh, you know, I, I like the Giants. Uh, I have been, I don't know why. I got a, kind of a soft spot for them, I guess because Eli Manning played there. But I like them. They've had a good year, but I just don't think they're going to be able to beat this Vikings team. Yeah, it, it's going to be all about – New York keeping up with this offense of uh, that the Vikings have. You, it, every now and then, you know, actually, you know, pretty often, there's just going to be a deep ball to Justin Jefferson, like a 70-yard touchdown, and it's hard to keep up with that. Yeah, and I think the Giants are heading in the right direction for the future, and I think their, prog- or their uh, program right now is looking pretty good, and they have a few things they need to fix up and clean up and pick up and the draft and free agency. But, I mean, they're a good team, but I, I, I think I'm going to go with the Vikings here by, I'll say Vikings by five. Okay. 
And then, Taking it a lot. And then we've got Ravens Bengals. Who you got in that one? A, a rematch of this week. Man, I said it earlier. The Bengals are they they didn't play their best game. They're keeping it pretty simple, not showing what they're gonna do. I think, and the and I said it also uh, repeating myself. The Bengals know when they got to play good, know when they got to play play very well. And I think this is time. Bengals show up, win by nine. Nine. All right. All right. And then Monday night, Cowboys, Buccaneers. Tom Brady has never lost to the Cowboys. Do you think that streak will come to an end? Oh man. That's crazy because <laughs> the Cowboys always choke in the playoffs. And, you know, it, it's consistent. <laughs> They're consistent one thing, and it's being bad when it comes to postseason. So, and I mean, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, they usually, Tom Brady can lead his team uh, to victory. So we'll see. I think, man, I don't really like either team. So it's hard for me to even really pick one because, but I, I, I'll have to go with the Buccaneers here. I think it's kind of a surprise pick. Buccaneers are home. This, you know, we you kind of referenced it earlier. Could possibly be Tom Brady's last year. I I doubt it because Tom Brady is, I don't know, he's crazy. He already gave up his wife and kids for football, so I doubt he's this will be his last year. But let's just say it is. He's going to be playing very well, and he's going to be on it. I'm going to take the Bucks by four. All right. Those are some solid predictions. I like a lot of those. Um, let's talk about just a little bit of NFL news uh, before we move on. Uh, Demar Hamlin uh, has officially left the hospital, uh, left the University of Cincinnati uh, Medical Center, and um, was on his way back to Buffalo the other day. Um, it, it's just a, a string of good signs so far, and I, I couldn't be happier to see this news. Oh, yeah, it's always good to see a player, especially a player with such a crazy injury to happen and no one knew what to expect and that he is able to that he's able to come back and uh, looking very healthy. And he's uh, coming back a lot quicker than a lot of people expected, which is very good. I mean, he's an NFL player. He's a superior athlete. So he's a very healthy and I'm very happy he's able to come back. I'm very intrigued to see what their decision are going to be will be for him and his football career though. Yeah. I think that they'll figure it out throughout the off season and you know how well he does rehabbing. Um, it, it will be very interesting, but you know, we're only hoping the best for him and yeah, like he is probably going to be the backup going into next year. If he is active with the bills, because Micah Hyde will most likely be back in time. But DeMar Hamlin showed that he could be a starter for a lot of NFL teams. So um, obviously this injury could be a, a bit of a red flag on him, you know, finding another team. But if he comes back and maybe plays just a couple of games for the Bills, I could see him going somewhere else and still having a good career if, um, you know, if he rehabs well and, and, and comes back to 100%. Yeah, and I mean, my thing for him is, um, at the end of the day, 
football is a fun, amazing game, and it, it's given him some great opportunities, not only for himself and his family, but the, his community and all the stuff he's done. With that being said, your health is the most important thing at the end of the day, and I know they're going to make the right decision. And I, I just, I hope it's, I just, I just hope the best for him, because I know giving up your sport is the hardest thing you can come to decision with. But hopefully he doesn't have to. But you know, we, we, we will see. Yeah, and uh, to get into something a little bit more uh, fun to talk about, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, he what he spoke with the Panthers. There's some interest from a couple other teams, including the Broncos. Uh, for you know, he's he's looking at some NFL jobs and he's acting a little weird about it. Yeah, um, I think he's really looking into these jobs, especially with this uh, looming NCAA investigation on him. Yeah, over a hamburger. Man, that is the dumbest rule ever. That a uh, you can't feed. Uh, like I understand the rule. Don't get me wrong; it makes total sense because it is bribery, whatever. But I mean, a hamburger that ended up on his bill, really? That's what we're we're worried about in college football. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Like Tennessee was handing out McDonald's bags full of money and they haven't gotten any type of suspension or nobody. It doesn't seem like anybody got in trouble. And now Harbaugh bought a kid a burger and he's in trouble because he wasn't truthful about the situation. Well, last time I checked with the uh, Tennessee situation, that's still all under investigation, isn't it? It might be. I'm not too sure. I just feel like I haven't heard anything about it at all. Yeah, that's it, because it's no longer you know popular in the news because they're doing good. But NCAA investigations go for years. Uh, usually, they take two to three to four years, depending on how many allegations there are. And they are not fun. They are taxing on the program, on the players, on the coaches, everyone involved. So uh, I could, if he's with him flirting around with these jobs, I totally understand it. I would not want to be involved in a program that is having a potential NCAA investigation. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Uh, and, and one thing that kind of just sprouts from, you know, Harbaugh entertaining these NFL jobs is I, I heard him talking about it a little bit on the radio today. Do you think that at some point Kirby Smart will make the jump? No. No? Kirby Smart is exactly where Kirby Smart has always wanted to be his entire life. He went, he wanted to play for the University of Georgia. He went and played for the University of Georgia. Then he decided he wanted to be a coach. So then his next goal in life, 100%, if I had to guess, was to be the, the head football coach at the University of Georgia. And there are many stories of him getting several offers of being a head, the head coach at other places. And him and Nick Saban kept talking. And, he said, and Nick Saban said, hey, you wait. Wait till you get a good offer. This, in the same year, I'm pretty sure it was a year before, South Carolina offered – uh, Kirby Smart, the job. Kirby Smart went out there, uh, looked around, you know, did all the talking. They were in talks or whatever. And then uh, Mark Rick and Kirby, or sorry, Mark Rick and Georgia part ways. Kirby Smart's the first person Georgia calls. He says, Yep, taking the job. So obviously, he's where he wants to be. He's built the program he wants to have. 
I think he's perfectly intent with where he is. And he, I mean, he's on track right now to potentially outdo Nick Saban, which I never thought would happen. Yeah, he, he's kind of mirroring the success right now. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think he will. Um, I, I just I, I do think it's an interesting thing to talk about. And I do think that over the next couple of years, he's going to start getting just like, you know, some teams are just going to call. some Like somebody's destined to call the best coach at the time in the in college to ask him if they want the job. But you no, know, you don't have to take it. And yeah, yeah, like you said, he's in the right spot. He's in the spot where he wants to be, and he's lining himself up pretty well to do uh, much more in college football than he would in the NFL. Yeah, and I think he, because I, I think he's also probably look, has looked at like Nick Saban. He Nick Saban was in the pros twice, and Nick Saban just didn't like it because he had. He had to answer to people. It wasn't his program, you know. And that's something else you get in college football. Is It is very – don't get me wrong. College football, you still have a boosters and the alumni and uh, the AD and other people to answer to, basically. But really, as long as you're doing good, it's your program and no one can bother you. And the only teams that do that are the Texas teams, and that's why they're not that great. Yeah. No kidding. But, uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up for some NFL news. Uh, I do want to run through. There's two kind of bigger things happening right now in the MLB that I wanted to go over. So uh, Trevor Bauer uh, was designated for assignment by the Dodgers. Uh, he'll most likely clear waivers because no team is going to take on his contract through a trade. Um, and, and just to you know update you in case you missed it, Bauer's suspension was reduced uh, just like a week or two ago, uh, and he was reinstated immediately. And it was kind of made obvious by this DFA um, that the Dodgers would rather him just have never come back from that suspension. But um, I'm interested to hear what you think um, as kind of a little bit of an outsider when it comes to the MLB. Do you think that a guy like Trevor Bauer with, you know, now this, you know, pretty bad history will sign with another team or, or if anybody's even just willing, like willing to put him, you know, in a position to have a resurgence. I feel like with Trevor Bauer, um, I mean, he's still, he's what middle age, give or take early middle age for baseball years. Yeah. Yeah. So he still has uh, some years left in him. Um, I think that all goes to – I think what the best – the thing for him right now is no one's going to want to touch him right now because he's red hot, and that's not something you want to bring to your team. So I think you get – you let him cool off for a year, let everything settle down. I don't know exactly how extreme his um, allegations are and all the truth on him. It, so well, and nobody's really going to know. Uh, everything kind of got settled, and then it was just the MLB's investigation that led to the suspension and and everything that happened with that. But, yeah, it, there's a lot of gray area with this because it, it seems like a lot of the MLB media um, has obviously shown some – is disgusted by Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer has continuously tried to defend himself. And 
it seems like people just kind of see that as like, a, like you know, he's just lying because that is an easy thing to just say. Yeah, there, who knows? But I, I think that he's just too good for some teams to pass up on. There's teams that need starting pitching. And if you could get a guy who, like Cy Young, uh, what, he won the NL Cy Young, I think, in the 2020 season with the Reds, or, or he was at least a finalist. And yeah, he won in 2020, he was the Cy Young Award yeah. winner. And, like, the guy was, got, he just got paid by the Dodgers. And then, obviously, all this crazy stuff happens. But I just think he's too good for teams to pass up. I honestly, I wouldn't be mad if he was on the Braves. I, I know that he has a, a bad image, you know, off the field. So does Marcelo Zuna. And, and we haven't done anything about that. I got to say for him is look at the Deshaun Watson case. Deshaun Watson had what? 40 women come out against him. Yeah. Some somewhere up there for sure. And he's the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And so, uh, and like we, and of course, it's Trevor Bauer, kind of same situation. It was what, uh, one woman? Yeah, just uh, one. Yeah, he had one woman come against him. He made poor decisions. I'm not, but I want to make this very clear. I do not in any way. I, I, I don't know exactly what he did. I'm not fully knowledgeable in the situation. So all I'm really saying is just, I, I don't condone anything he did, allegedly did, whatever it was. I'm in no support of it. With that being said, I think that you, the best thing you can do is kind of like what they did to Deshaun Watson. Have him sit out a year or get, just maybe take him down to the minors or something. Let him keep playing, whatever. Cool. He's red freaking hot. And no one needs that on their team because it does nothing to bring negative energy and negative. Uh, it just makes your team look bad. Just let him pull off. And then, I mean, I would pick him up. I mean, he's one great baseball player. He has at least three to seven years left in him. Oh, yeah. The, the guy's got plenty of time, and he takes great care of his body. So he's a guy that has longevity. And I, I just – I think that, you know, this obviously is a huge shadow on him. But outside of that, watching him on a baseball field is something that we don't really see often. The way that he is, you know, his energy and the the attention to detail. And, like, if you've ever gotten into, like, watching some of his stuff, he, like, tracks everything with his body, like every single thing he could possibly track, he's tracking and, and he's got doctors that are monitoring it all the time, keeping him updated. He knows when he's feeling good and when he's not. And I think that with how much you know, money and, and time he's put into his body, he's got he's got plenty of years to go. And I think that that would be, you know, the big thing that would draw in some teams to make the signing. Yeah, I mean. Again, I'm just going to re- repeat myself. Sean Watson, for this scenario for him, is the perfect is the perfect thing compared to. They're just going to let him calm out, cool down for a year, and then someone's picking him up, and he's going to go back to being a starter, being a star. And then all of this is going to go away, and it's everyone's going to bring it up still. A lot of people still bring it up. But 
unfortunately, you know, that that's sports. If you're a great athlete and you're out there, people are going to want you to play for them. Yeah. Let's move on to somebody who plenty of teams want him to play. Um, just doesn't seem like it's going to happen right now. Uh, Carlos Correa. Um, so just to do it again because it's just, once again, another wrinkle in the story. He was a free agent. Supposedly agreed to terms on a big deal with the Giants. Then it falls through. And then randomly the Mets are the team that's signing him. And then we learn that the Giants didn't like something with his physical. dates back to an injury from like 2014 or 16 or whatever. And then the same thing happens with the Mets. And then everything's in turmoil. And then a couple days ago came out that him and his agent were not happy with how the Mets treated the situation and the Mets weren't happy with how they treated it. And so they gave up on that. And then out of the blue, Carlos Correa and the Twins, who he was just with, agree on terms for a six-year, $200 million deal. And it's just pending a physical. And with this history of physicals this year, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe he'll just be playing in like Korea next year. Huh. Yeah, but you know he's going back down to the Caribbean league at that. It's just crazy with all this, and I mean, uh, that's crazy that you that you kind of point out there. It was uh, an issue from a 2014 physical, and he's been in the league since 15, being a superstar. Yeah, it's it's wild what has happened so far with this Carlos Correa situation. And it just, I, I feel like it's, this isn't the end. <laughs> I, I don't think that this is, you know, the final time we talk about Carlos Correa because I'm sure something else is going to come up throughout the rest of this off season. But uh, that'll do it right hey. now for the MLB. Uh, it's pretty dead uh, as of right now, but I do want to just end it off as always with stake your claim. And I'm going to go ahead and get into mine because I kept kind of accidentally talking about it earlier because I really wanted to talk about this. But this is probably my most intricate take. Uh, lots of scenarios involved. So I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you. Okay, go ahead, man. All right. With all the shifts in the draft order from week 18, uh, Chicago moving to one, Texans moving back to two, Chicago's going to trade back with the Colts. The Colts will pick C.J. Stroud first overall after the scouts realize that C.J. Stroud has a better build and comparable skills, and they see that Bryce Young, who, yeah, I get it. He's measured at six foot. He's not six feet tall. There's no way. And then Chicago trading back to four, is still probably going to end up with Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Yeah, that's that's a very solid scenario. I think one thing I got to say about my boy Bryce Young is he reminds me a lot of uh, old Drew Brees. Drew Brees was very – was also pretty short, uh, underestimated, you know, just because besides wasn't really looked at too much coming out of – college and he went on to break several records and Bryce Young seems to be very similar to him very accurate very poised in the uh, pocket very smart uh, you know we'll just have to see how it plays off plays out I mean yeah um, there's not much I can really talk more about this because it's really just all up to like 
you know, chance. But uh, I do want to hear what you've got today. I was there. There, there's a lot of things I've been thinking about, and I'm sure people were sick and tired of hearing my uh, college football takes. But I don't know. Might might have to bring out another one. I I think I'm gonna go with two. One crazy one, just because I love the Savannah Bananas, and they've been tweeting about it. And you kind of brought up, uh, you know, pending physical. Uh, Carlos is gonna end up down at the Savannah Bananas. I love it. That's a that's a great (laughs) take. That. Oh uh, yeah, totally. You know, I follow their Twitter account. You know, writing up the contract right now. Uh, yeah, you no, heard I... it here first. Well, <laughs> we're reporting it from our source, the Savannah Bananas Twitter account. Hey, at Savannah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is confirmed stuff right here. Carlos Correa passed his physical for the Savannah Bananas, and he's going to sign a ten-year, five-dollar contract. Yes. Yeah, of course that's the uh that's the fun uh claim of the day. <laughs> but um I think I'm gonna have to go with a little little baseball here. Okay. Though it may not be my uh my strongest uh suit for sports, but I think I'm gonna take my Atlanta Braves winning the NL East again, making it six years in a row, and uh, go taking a nice little trip to the series and bringing it home back to Atlanta. City of champions, baby. I like it. I, I, I do believe in this team. Obviously, there's question marks. Uh, losing Dansby, um, it, it looks like Jordan Luplo is probably going to be the starting left fielder. We still have Ozuna on the team. There's a, a lot of question marks just in, but they don't matter because we still have the guys that have been doing it for years now. You've got Austin Riley. He's cemented himself as uh, at least the top three third baseman in the league. You've got Acuna, of course, the one of the most electric players in the MLB, uh, one of the best outfielders, one of the, just the best players in general in the game. You got Ozzy Albies, a top second baseman in the league. You've got Matt Olson, who, yeah, he had a down year in his first year in Atlanta, but he's got plenty of time to prove it. We just traded for a gold glove catcher in Sean Murphy and signed him to a long-term deal. We've got Strider coming back. We've got Max Fried. We've got Kyle Wright. There is so much to look forward to with this Braves team. And, yeah, I, I genuinely think that we're just going to keep doing it. Year after year. Yeah. I mean, this Atlanta has set themselves up in a great situation. A lot of people right now are very upset with they keep going, oh, they, they've traded away their entire uh, farm system. There's nothing left. But it's like, yeah, there's nothing left because they're already up in the majors. Like, uh, so I'm just, I'm just very excited to see them again and, it just looks like we have nothing but a bright but bright future ahead of us. Just everything they keep doing is has worked out well. And I, I'm just very excited for another season. Yeah. I, I I can't wait for Braves baseball to start back up and just baseball in general. It, it's my it's baseball is my first love. So yeah. I, I'll I'll never Never not miss baseball in the off season. As much as I love college and NFL football, 
baseball is my spot. And college, you're gonna you're gonna hear me talk about it all summer. Oh yeah. Hey, college baseball is one month away. That's and facts. Your national champions, Ole Miss, are coming in with one of the top transfer transfer classes and high school recruiting classes in the nation. And we're returning the best freshman pitcher. So y'all best be watching out there, all right, people. All right, hey, that's three claims right there. You had Correa to the Bananas. (laughs) You had the Braves winning the World Series, and now Ole Miss is running it back. Dude, back-to-back, baby. Hey, I'm on one tonight, all right? I like it. I like it. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Anything you got for the people, Brock? You know, nothing but just. Just uh, uh, man, I don't even know. I'm having a great time tonight. I love sports. Everyone should love sports. You know, before we get out of here, thank you again to Brooks for sponsoring today's episode. Make sure you visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store and get suited up for the new year. And that's going to do it for us, everybody. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.